Hey, we are in the third week, as Kevin said, of this series called Greater. Uh, The title comes from John chapter 3, verse 30, where John the Baptist says this of Jesus. He says that Jesus must become greater and I must become less, that, that he must become greater in all things, and that we must become less. And for those of us that follow Jesus, like that should be our ultimate goal in life too, uh, to make the name of Jesus greater in all things, and everywhere we go, and certainly in everything that we do uh, together as a family. And uh, if you are new with us today, and in case you are wondering what greater is, uh, for the last two weeks, we have been discussing this greater vision that we believe that God has for us as a church. And uh, if this is your first time with us or your first time with us in a while, I'd encourage you to go to our website uh, and watch a video that we've provided there that gives a much broader kind of picture uh, of this greater vision and event for our church. Uh, But this morning, if you have one of these greater initiative booklets, you can also turn to page nine there uh, where you can read more about this event. I'm going to give you just a quick flyover about what we're talking about, what we're praying about together as a family. Here's what we are praying for the Lord to do. We, we believe, we are trusting the Lord that over the next two years uh, that he can provide $7.5 million through our church family, this church family, uh, to help us accomplish three things together. First of all, we want to keep making disciples. And we really believe this is our strategy. This is what we would say is the lifeblood of our church. Uh, this is what makes the engine move. And our church is growing. Um, our needs are increasing right now, which is a great problem to have, by the way. And so the majority of this greater vision is to increase our annual operating budget from $1.8 million a year to $2.1 million, uh, which over two years comes to $4.2 million to fund everything that we do every day uh, as a church. The second thing is that we want to continue reaching our cities. We have this campus here in Noblesville and in Carmel as well. And right now, our most urgent need as a church is to find a new home for this Noblesville campus. We lease this space. We're outgrowing this space. We believe the Lord's leading us into a new direction, and so we want to raise $3 million over the next couple of years to help us begin the process of building a new facility. And just so you know, um, our Carmel campus is growing too, and so we are praying about, we're already praying about what the future holds. Uh, Even for our Carmel campus, they're running out of space. They're eventually going to need to relocate or expand. And so again, we're already asking the Lord what the next years look like, not only for Noblesville, but for our Carmel campus too. And then finally, the last piece of this greater vision is to keep changing the world, all right? And we want to be great partners. We want to be great supporters. We want to be generous towards other ministries locally and around the world that are also helping people find their way back to God. And so this greater vision helps us invest an additional $300,000 already over and above what we're doing as a church to help meet the needs of some local Uh, ministry partners and around the world too. And this $300,000 is in addition to what we're already giving away as a church, but we're committed to give at least 10% of every gift given away every year. We've got a goal actually to get to 20% one day, and so this is just another step in that direction of generosity. And so that's a quick flyover of this greater vision. Again, $7.5 million over two years. Uh, However, and we have been saying this, that while raising seven and a half million dollars is exciting it is our secondary goal because the primary goal for us as we've said from the beginning is a hundred percent engagement 
Uh, it's 100% involvement here. And some of you have heard me say this before, that even if somebody came forward after the service today and wrote a check for $7.5 million, I would deposit that check because we're not crazy, all right? We would do that, but we would still do this event. We would still continue in this greater event over the next couple of years together because this greater vision is an opportunity for every single one of us to grow in our faith and to grow in our generosity. And so we're praying. We're praying that everyone from Genesis, everyone that calls this church their home, will take the next step in generosity. And for some of you, that might mean beginning to give. Uh, maybe you've never taken that step before. It's a bold step to take, right? To start giving for the first time in your life to something like a church or to maybe begin giving consistently if you've done it from time to time. For other, other, others, it, it'll mean growing in, in your generosity, maybe by giving more than you ever have before, trusting the Lord in, in an entirely new way. And so I hope you'll be praying. Uh, I hope that you will join us in, in praying as a church uh, for these two goals. And remember, it's not just a fundraiser. And, and even as we talk about the importance of, of growing in generosity together, it's more than that because it's about all of us working together. Uh, it's about us coming together as one church, again, to make the name of Jesus greater, but we also believe we've been given this assignment of helping people find their way back to God, all right? And that means taking some bold steps. That means making some courageous moves, trusting the Lord, even with some unknown, even some uncertainty. And so that's what greater is about for us. And uh, I hope that you're gonna com come along with us uh, for this exciting vision, trust in the Lord with these next steps. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you, we trust you, um, we're excited, we, we, we look at the story of what you've been doing through Genesis over these years, and we know it all comes from you, and it's all for your glory, God, and uh, we are trusting you for what's ahead, and believing that you have excited, you've got greater things in mind uh, for Genesis, for our lives, and again, not for our sake, but for the sake of the name of Jesus. And, uh, and so we are trusting you. We are trusting you, Lord, for 100% engagement, and we are trusting you to help us reach that financial goal. Uh, Father, use this time today. Uh, as we talk about priorities here this morning, Lord, I pray you'd open up our hearts and our minds to, to hear from you. We want to uh, live lives that uh, reflect our, our trust and our faith in you. And so uh, we give you this time. I, I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me now uh, here in this place, Lord, again, that you'd get all the praise and all of the glory and that we will respond however you choose to lead us today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Uh, amen. Hey, I think you all know uh, the game. You've played this game maybe with some family and friends before. It's a, it's a simple one. It's just simply this game, uh, would you rather, right? You, you know how would you rather works. You ask the question, would you rather, and then there's usually one of, of two options that, that you could choose from. Like an example uh, of how this game might work goes something like this. Like, would you rather be 20 minutes early uh, or 20 minutes late to something. How many of you are 20 minutes early sort of people, right? Okay, lots of hands around the room. How many of you are 20 minute late sort of people? Get your hand up, because some of you just walked in. Like, I, we, we watched you. We watched you come in just a few minutes ago, right? But there's a difference, you know? I mean, some of us are early people. Some of us are just kind of get there fashionably late for the rest of our lives uh, sort of people. How, how about this one? Would you rather wear the same dirty clothes every day for the next 30 days 
or not take a shower every day for the next 30 days. Like how many of you are the dirty clothes sort of people? You'd go that direction, all right? How many of you are no shower? I'm fine not taking a shower for the next 30 days. We've got some, again, honest people uh, around the room. Or uh, how about this one? This, this one might be the best. Would you rather drink a smoothie made of meat? All right, nothing but meat or 12 ounces of simmering ketchup right? I mean, you know, what would you choose? We won't even vote on that. But, uh, but here, here's the truth. Would, would you rather, it's a fun game to play when like there's nothing on the line, you know, when we're just up for a laugh, but not nearly as fun when the would you rather sort of scenarios are, are guaranteed to test priorities, you know, and, and maybe in ways that you've never uh, imagined. For the last two weeks, we've been studying through the life of a man named Abram, uh, whose personal spiritual journey with God is recorded for us in the book of Genesis. And today, we're going to look at a time in his life when he faced a series of would-you-rather uh, sort of scenarios that not only challenge his priorities, but they're also going to stretch his faith uh, and stretch his trust in God. And so as we jump back in the story today, I want to encourage you to follow along with us if you've got your Bible with you. Uh, you can turn to Genesis 13 there. Uh, if you want to use one of the Bibles around the room under the seats, um, it's page eight uh, in that Bible. We'll also have these words on the screen. But uh, just to catch you up, for the last two weeks, we've been studying through Genesis 12 and how God pursued Abram on a personal level, on a deep uh, level, both physically and spiritually, you could say. But in true fashion, uh, God cared too much uh, about Abram to allow him to just continue uh, in the place and the location and really the season of life that he was in. And so God called him to leave everything that was comfortable uh, and to pursue this greater calling that God had for him and his family. And last week we saw how God encouraged uh, Abram to have greater trust uh, greater trust by remaining faithful even when a famine is going to hit this new land. Uh, today, if you want to flip over to page 20 in your greater booklet, there's a place to take notes there. And also the title for today's message is Greater Priorities. And as we jump into Genesis 13 today, we're going to see how Abram is learning uh, to set priorities, or you could even say how he is learning to reset uh, priorities based on God's faithfulness in the past, as well as his promises for the future. And so let's pick it up in Genesis chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Here's what we read. It says, so Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. And uh, just a map to kind of recap for you uh, what we've been talking about these past few weeks. Uh, God called to Abram in Genesis chapter 12 or even 11 when he and his family were living down here in this area known as Ur of the Chaldeans or Mesopotamia or the Fertile Crescent. And uh, God's going to call them to a new place to leave everything that they've ever known, really to, to put their identity in him instead of in the land. And they're going to travel and eventually wind up in uh, what we know as Israel today. The Old Testament refers to it as the promised land. Uh, you can see Jerusalem here on the map. But again, as Steve was explaining last week, a famine hits the land. And because of it, and for the sake of survival, Abram and his family, including his nephew Lot and whatever possessions they had with them, they're going to travel and they're going to leave and go down to Egypt for a period of years. We don't know how many years for, uh, for sure, but they're going to go there for the 
sake of survival. And again, we don't know how long we were there, but we know that Abram became richer. Uh, they acquired even more wealth while they were there. And eventually when the famine had gone away, they're going to turn and go back home to the promised land. And so the next verse here, it says, from the Negev, and the Negev is really all of the desert south of Jerusalem all the way to the Red Sea. Uh, it's the desert, the wilderness. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the, neighbor, or, or, on the name of the Lord. Now, a couple of important details here that I think are fun to point out. First, after leave, leaving Egypt, see how Abram and his family are gonna go back to the place where they've settled before. Uh, but more importantly, verse four tells us that they arrived at a place at a spot where he, where Abram, had previously built an altar to God. Now, this is important because in Abram's culture, uh, altars were holy places, uh, they signified a, a location where a special encounter had taken place with God. And so if you flip back to Genesis 12, 8, we learn that Abram had built this altar a few years back when he and his family had first arrived in the land, this land that God had promised to them. But the end of verse 4 reveals something that's pretty important too. It says, it was there, it's from this place, that Abram called on the name of the Lord. And this is while coming back into the land. Basically, Abram began his re-entry into the promised land by worshiping God for his faithfulness through the struggle, for his provision uh, through the famine, and of course, to seek God's guidance in this next chapter of life. Now, we don't know exactly what Abram prayed for, but if he didn't pray for wisdom about what he should do next, he should have because he was getting ready to face another would-you-rather sort of scenario that is certainly going to influence his family and their future. Verse 5, it says, Now Lot, and this is Abram's nephew, now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. Now you've heard that phrase before that fish like company spoils after a few days. There's a little bit of that, I think, going on here uh, it, because the land was, was just getting a little crowded. The families, this greater family of Abrams was living uh, too close together. Let me fix my mic here. And now it presents a, a sticky, kind of potentially tricky, uh, would-you-rather scenario that's going to impact Abram and his family in some significant ways. And so try this. Put yourself in Abram's shoes for a moment, just considering what's going on here. Like, would you rather live close to your wealthy family and deal with daily conflict or part ways and live in peace? And from what we can tell, like Abram and his nephew Lot, I mean, they, they got along well. And so there's a chance this wasn't an easy decision for them, but a necessary decision nonetheless. But look at how Abram responds. Verse 8, so Abram said to Lot, son, it's time for you to move out of the basement and get on with your life. No, it doesn't say that. But uh, he says to Lot, hey, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And so not only is Abram faced with a would-you-rather scenario to kind of keep the peace in his family, but notice instead of choosing the best land for himself, 
he lets Lot choose first. And how did Lot respond? Verse 10, Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain. Did you notice that the writer of Genesis here refers to the land as the garden of the Lord? That's likely a reference to Eden, which many believe and have always suspected was actually in Mesopotamia, the Fertile Crescent. It's where they used to live. And there's also a reference to Egypt because that's where the Lord sent them and where they were provided for during this famine. And so when you think about it, in other words, the would, would you rather is, would you, would you rather live in the land of Eden or anywhere else on earth? And, and for Lot, it kind of seems like a no-brainer. I mean, if you put yourself in his shoes, I mean, Lot, I think he does what any of us would have done. I mean, he chooses the waterfront, you know? He, he chooses the acreage, you know, for, for his family. But here's what's crazy. Uh, here, here's, what, here, here's what's crazy. Abram allowed his nephew Lot to choose first which is almost unheard of in this culture because Abram was the patriarch of the family. I mean, he gets to make the calls. Uh, there's, there's nothing preventing him from choosing the best land for himself. He had every right to choose, and yet Abram allowed Lot to pick first. And I think you could say this, like it's safe to say that both Abram and Lot had made a lot of good decisions. They had made smart decisions that really had paid off for them in a number of ways. But what we're going to start seeing moving forward is that Abram's choices were guided by his growing trust in God. And the result would be increased prosperity, blessings, and multiplication. But Lot, on the other hand, his decisions are going to lead to a disintegration of his morals and really a demise in his own family. In fact, Lot's choices get him into some pretty significant trouble, and Abram's going to have to step in on a couple of different occasions to rescue him. Here's what I want to do. With this in mind, I want to just for a moment compare uh, what we see in Abram and Lot and the way they set their priorities. For starters, notice that Lot prioritized based on his own self-interest. All right, he prioritized based on his own self-interest. Look again, look at verse 10. It says, Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. And so he's going to choose the land that makes him richer, you know? He's going to choose the land that's got a better view. I mean, if you're given first choice, why wouldn't you do that, you know? And from a financial perspective, it made a lot of sense. However, Lot doesn't appear to show much regard for spiritual matters. We don't see any evidence of prayer. We don't see any evidence of consultation with God. And, and if you re keep reading, uh, keep reading these next few chapters, this line of thinking is going to put Lot and his family in some serious physical uh, and spiritual danger. How? Well, to start, they're going to make their home next to the infamous city of Sodom, which was a place of wealth and a place of influence, but also a place notorious for its wickedness and eventually God's going to warn Lot and his family to leave the city before it's destroyed but Lot's wife gets so accustomed to her ways there and the lifestyle that Sodom represents that she ultimately ends up being destroyed with the city itself now I want to make sure that you hear me say this next 
God calls us as followers of Jesus to be citizens of heaven, all right? We talked about that in our Philippians series, to to live uh, and to be influencers uh, in our own modern-day Sodoms that we live in today. But we can learn a lot from Lot. didn't mean to do that. But we can learn a lot from him uh, and his immediate family because instead of seeking a life, really, that honors God, Lot's family, they're, they're choosing a life that is much more self-serving. Or think about it like this. Instead of rubbing off on their neighbors, their neighbors were rubbing off on them. And the truth is that every single one of us, we face these same struggles. We face these same challenges today in this land, in this place that the Lord has called us to live. And as Christians, we are called to live in this world, but not of this world. We're called, as Jesus said, to be salt and to be light. We we are called to love others as much as we love God, but that we're set apart. We are set apart. We are here with a very special assignment. We are here with a higher calling in this world. And this higher calling is going to challenge decisions. It's going to challenge priorities all day long, all week long in everything that we do. We could come up with any number of examples today of how we're constantly challenged, you know, with these priorities and what it means to live in this world. Let me give you just a few just that I got to thinking about this week. You know, the fact is that right now some of you are working jobs that are terrible for you and your family. And, uh, and sure, maybe it helps pay for the lifestyle you've always wanted. But man, when it comes down to it, I mean, sometimes you need to ask yourself, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it if you don't get to enjoy the people who matter the most to you in this world? Or how about this one? You know, some of us are in families where both parents work. And not because you want to but you do it because two incomes are required to pay for the house that you want and for the cars that you feel that you need to drive. Now, now please hear me when I say this. This is not a judgment against two parents working. Sometimes it's a necessity. Sometimes you do it by choice and it makes sense. But if the most important relationships in your life are unraveling because of it, again, it might be time to reevaluate the priorities or or, or how about this? And we touch on this from time to time. I mean, for some, it's the constant lure of youth sports. And we live in the youth sports capital of the world, right? And for every one of us, I get it. I love sports. My kids all play sports. I, I know the, the demands of teams and of travel teams and all that. And true, sports teach great life lessons. Sports provide wonderful opportunities and maybe something like a scholarship one day too. I just pray that we will put as much, if not more, on an emphasis in a relationship with Jesus than we do in sports because the fact is that one day the only thing that will matter again, is whether or not you have a relationship or if your child has a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's what it boils down to. We have so many opportunities around us, so many opportunities. There are so many things that demand our time and, and demand our attention, but if there's anything we can learn from Lot in this story, it's that there will be some future costs associated with prioritizing our own self interest instead of pursuing God above all things. And so that's Lot's side of it. Let's consider Abram's for a moment because here's what's different about him we're beginning to see. Abraham was learning to prioritize generosity towards God and others first. A few examples of this. It started by worshiping God and calling on his name for guidance about what to do next. 
Uh, And then it extended to his nephew Lot by allowing him to choose the land where he was going to live. And then we see it again in Genesis 14 when Abram runs into this guy by the name of Melchizedek. Uh, Abram was returning from a successful uh, rescue mission, if you would, to save Lot and his family. He won a fierce battle and he walked away from the battlefield with a sum of great riches. Well, on his way home, as Genesis records, we get record of this mysterious encounter between Abram and a man named Melchizedek. And we don't know a lot about Melchizedek, except that he's called a priest of God. And Abram's response was to give him 10% of his spoils from the battle. I just want you to see here that not only was God Abram's first thought in decision making, but God was the first place that Abram turned after the victory to say thank you. And I think we see here him modeling for us an attitude of thanksgiving towards God and generously giving back to God first. And you may wonder to yourself, well, how's that work? Why was Melchizedek considered uh, giving to God? The simple answer is Melchizedek was God's appointed instrument at the time. Fast forward to the New Testament, all right? And after the days of Jesus, uh, we see that God's appointed instrument is the church, And if you look through the New Testament, especially the the history book of Acts, God does his work through the early church. The church was the means through which the good news of Jesus was being declared. The the church was the means through which people were being discipled and the needs of the poor were being met. And I'll just say that that's part of the reason why we're so passionate about this greater vision and about where we go from here as a church. See, God has blessed our church in so many ways over these past 17 years. And it'd be real easy to sit on our hands, to get really comfortable and just celebrate the past. But we're not gonna do that. Like we gotta keep moving ahead. We've gotta keep moving forward because we're convinced that with those blessings comes responsibility. And by calling ourselves followers of Jesus, that we have been given a very specific assignment here on this earth, that we are a family on mission together, and that we do want to reach our neighbors and our community for Christ, because he died for all, right? I mean, we've been singing about it this morning. He died for all, and through his death, and through his resurrection, we've been set free. Like, our future has changed forever, All right, we have a new assignment and I can promise you that the only thing that matters when you die or when Jesus returns one day is whether you've been forgiven by him or not. That's the only thing that matters. You're not gonna take your car to heaven, right? You're not gonna take your house or your 401k to heaven, but we can work together to make sure that others experience eternity with Jesus with us. All right, that's a part of our role. That's a part of our assignment as followers of Jesus Christ and as a church. And it means we make some bold steps. All right, take some bold steps. And that we open ourselves up to what God wants to do in us and wants to do through us for the sake of his his kingdom. Hey, when it comes down to it, who are you more like? Are you more like Abram? Or are you more like Lot? Or think about it like this. Would you rather accumulate as much wealth and stuff as you can here on earth? Or would you like to say that you're living for something greater by being generous to God and others first? I think most of us would pick generosity. We'd pick the selflessness. I really do. I believe that's in our heart. I believe that's our intent. But the truth is, putting it into practice is hard. 
getting moving in that direction can be very difficult. And so as we wrap up today, I want to give you just a couple of questions. We'll call them diagnostic questions for each of us to help us think about where we are right now and maybe where we want to be. The first one is this, that when it comes to your daily decisions, especially financial ones, what comes first? What comes first in your decision-making? What comes first in your thinking? Because the fact is that no matter what decision you're wrestling with or working through, someone or something is always influencing the decisions and choices that you make. And, and, and most of the time, it's me or it's self, right? Uh, it could be your spouse and what he or she thinks or your kids or maybe the home that you want, the dream that you've always had, uh, a schedule, you know, our desired future. Thankfully, Jesus gave us a little help on this one. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, here's what Jesus tells us. He says, but seek first his kingdom in everything you do, in all of your decisions. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is teaching us that the first step to right priorities is prioritizing God's kingdom first in everything that you do. And this starts, when you think about it, it starts really by asking a question, God, what do you want me to do? I mean, we talk about the importance of having a personal relationship with the Lord and kind of walking with Him all day long and being in conversation with Him. I mean, one of the ways that you and I, that we can keep growing is, is by asking Him as often as possible, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want to do through me in this moment that I find myself in right now? And I think that's what Jesus is trying to drive home here is that if we'll make serving and giving and living for God our greatest priority, everything else is going to fall into its rightful place. place our, our relationships, um, our finances, our career, even our dreams will fall into their rightful place if we ask the Lord, if we truly make it our desire to seek Him first. Here's a, a second question, another question we can ask about our priorities. And that is, does God get the first and the best of all you receive. Or just to make it very personal, you know, does God get the first and the best of all I receive? Again, we see Abram practice this principle in Genesis 13 when he gives the first 10% of what he earned from battle back to God through Melchizedek. And the fact is that we all give our first and our best to something every month. We do. You do whether you realize it or not. And, and it might be a mortgage. It could be a, a car payment. It could be giving your first to Verizon or music lessons or the next getaway. And again, there's nothing wrong with any of these things, but I think the question we all have to wrestle with is, does it come first? Does what I give myself or give my gifts or give these resources to first, does it say something at all about what I value the most? Because more than we realize, what we give our first and best to tends to show what we treasure most. It tends to show what we treasure most. And so if the first and the best of your income is going to pay bills to maintain or improve a lifestyle, it might show what you value most. And I've struggled with this. I mean, I have. I mean, I, I don't know if the temptation for me is to get rich, but the comfort with having enough, the comfort with setting enough aside, the, the comfort with making enough for the 
who knows what that could ever happen. Like that's always been a, a temptation and a challenge for me. And um, I, I remember, I mean, the, uh, the, one of the biggest steps that Jenny and I have made, and I've shared this with you before, was 20 years ago, we weren't giving anything to the next week to begin giving. And uh, for us at the time, we were, I was getting ready to take a, my first position at a church in Michigan, and we kind of figured, well, if we're going to talk to people about giving, we probably have to do it ourselves. And so, I mean, we literally went from one week giving nothing to, to starting giving the next week, and we, we 10%. We, just, we decided 10%. The Bible's got a lot to say about 10%. Jesus talked about 10%. Seems like a, a good starting line or a good short-term goal. And so we started doing that, and, and man, I'll, I'll be honest, it was hard for a while, uh, you, you know the challenges of money and trusting the Lord with money, and it was really hard for us for a while, but it's amazing the more and more we did it, how God started to change not only my heart, but Jenny's heart, and really how it impacted our marriage in so many wonderful ways, and, and we've been given now for 20 years, and I mean, the Lord's been growing our giving more and more every year, our percentage giving, but growing our hearts and our faith. And, and for many of you that do this, like, you know, there's just something special about trusting the Lord with your finances and watching him provide and his blessings and being able to celebrate together when we're celebrating something as a church, realizing, you know, we gave to that. Like we sacrificed to be a part of that, to, to do that together. And, and I would say not only was starting to give the greatest financial decision we've ever made. It's probably one of the better decisions we've ever made in our marriage. I'm thankful that by God's grace, he moved in us to take that step. Many of you have taken that step. You know what the Lord can do through it. And I wish I could tell you I got it all figured out, you know, and never think about stress about money anymore, stress about it even this morning, you know. The, the, you know I, I want God to be the priority in all of my decisions. I got a lot of room to grow, but he is growing me. You know, and I know he's growing many of you. I want to add this, following, following Jesus isn't about making comfortable little life adjustments along the way. Following Jesus is about total surrender and in everything. And there are steps to that, no doubt. I mean, we are all growing by grace in that. But I will say that you can't be totally surrendered to God and it not be reflected in your finances. The two come together. And so this greater vision and event, it's about striving together, certainly to reach a financial goal that's gonna help us help even more people find their way back to God. But it's also about every person here taking their next step of faith with God when it comes to money and when it comes to generosity. And as it has to do with greater, you know, this is something that Jenny and I have known about for a long time. And so we've been praying and we've been talking about what the Lord is going to do through us. Uh, we are preparing to give the largest financial gift we've ever given over the next two years. As he's working in us, we want to double our giving to Genesis over the next two years. And with God's help, we, we plan to give more than we paid for our first home. And I don't tell you that because I want you to think highly of me. I just want you to know that the level that I'm asking you to pray about what God wants to do through you, I'm just saying we're willing to do it too. Uh, we're willing to do it too. We're willing to, to model the way and with other leaders and with our staff here at this church. And that's our story, you know? You need to have your own story. You need to ask the Lord, God, what do you want to do through me? What do you want to teach me in this season? How do you want to give through me? How do you want to give through my family? For some of you, you're going to take a step, you know, like mine or somebody else's in, in your giving and generosity or maybe something else that God has for you. For others of you, you know, greater is going to be an opportunity for you to increase your monthly giving back to the Lord. 
uh, through Genesis. For some of you, if you've been given sporadically, I mean, maybe this is going to be a season where you start giving regularly, or if you've never given it all, to start giving something and to do it regularly as a way of saying, I'm living with a kingdom mindset. I'm going all in for Jesus. He gave his life for me. I want to give my life for him. This isn't about making my name greater in this world. This is about making the name of Jesus greater in this world.